Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today. So I know I said last week on the show I was going to have a guest this week. We had some rebookings and some things shift in the schedule. So I'm going to have a guest on next week and the week following. And this is, it's kind of appropriate because it gives me, it gives me a moment to, to speak to you guys from the heart, which I think, I think is in a space we are all in right now. I feel like everyone, everyone has this longing to listen from the heart and to speak from the heart. And it's showing up in all sorts of different ways. I was excited to, for this week's episode of the podcast to be a big episode on anti-racism. And I shared last week that I have committed to not having huge conversations around this without having a, a black person present to guide. And then this week I have, again, learned a lot. So actually I am going to share a little bit more right now in terms of my own learnings, my own experience as a white woman navigating this, this conversation and supporting this movement from afar. Some beautiful advice that I have received. A woman you should all follow on Instagram is Bex Life. I just want to do a little shout out for Rebecca. She's been super, super helpful in terms of questions that I've been navigating, especially in terms of talking on such a big platform. And today, what I, what I plan to, to share a little bit about is some mistakes that I've made. <laughs> and I'm sure a bunch of you guys are like, yay, I feel like, I feel like there are so many people making so many mistakes in this conversation all around. And I think that's evident. Like it's obvious that that's about to happen. If everyone knew how to do this right, then we wouldn't have this issue. Right. So it's not just, and that's a, a big learning and a big takeaway that, that I've, that I'm taking a few of the people that I've learned the most from that I'm going to be kind of touching on and sharing about a little bit more in this episode is Rachel Cargill. I'm sure you guys follow her already. I had her on the podcast a little while ago, I think a year and a half, maybe, maybe two years. <laughs> I got to check my, my memory isn't so good, but it, it's been a moment ago. And uh, Layla Saad, whose book I've shared a, a, a couple of times, Me and White Supremacy. It's a book I, I come back to again and again. I'm reading it again right now, but taking more time with the book than I did the first time around. But so a big thing that I have learned is this, that we are all going to make mistakes and that the issue of racism isn't just something that sits in a faraway place, which is kind of how I grew up. And I, I'm sure many of you listening are going to resonate as well. I grew up with this idea of, of there are racists and then there are non-racists. And that's kind of how the world is divided. And racists, of course, are terrible people and they are extreme and extremists. And, you know, I would think of the KKK or the Nazi movement in Sweden. We still have a lot of a lot of that kind of uh, that, that kind of energy lingering. And there are some groups that are still active and and um, some 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 white supremacy groups. Right. So that's kind of how, how I grew up. There's either you're a racist or you're not. Right. And obviously I am not. Obviously, my friends are not. Obviously, my family is not the people that I surround myself, no one is racist. So whenever someone confronts you and you have this idea, right? Of, co of course, I'm not racist. Of course. And racism is this extreme thing, right? It, it only applies to certain extreme white supremacist type of people. That means that we are automatically excluding ourselves from the conversation. 
Leila Saad calls it white exceptionalism, or that's the term for this, where we are exempt, right? Like, I'm just a regular white person. I am not a racist. I'm not a part of this conversation at all. And by, ex- you know, by making ourselves exceptional in that sense, we don't have to participate, right? We don't have to look at our own stuff because we paint the world in black and white. It's either you're racist or you're not, which I think a lot of us have learned now, you know, that is not the case. And the bigger issue isn't just these extreme groups that of course still exist and the KKK and horrible things that are, that are all around, but the day-to-day integrated racist structures that we all live in. The fact that we all, all are living with white privilege, if we're white or white passing people, that we are living in a, in a whole society where white is the norm, where white supremacy is very real. And for me, you know, in terms of making mistakes, because I, I didn't want to see it that way. I didn't agree. I felt whenever someone would say that to me, I felt very attacked, but that doesn't apply to me. Well, if it doesn't apply to you, then you don't have any work to do, right? That's kind of a nice way to bypass the whole conversation altogether and then leave the responsibility to deal with racism on black people, you know? Like this is like a, a big, big realization that I've had that every time that I've thought that to myself, that it doesn't apply to me because I'm not a racist and racism is something extreme. It's meant that I haven't had to have any of those uncomfortable conversations. I haven't had to look at the the deep structure in my family. You know, I'm Swedish. My whole family is white. I haven't had to look at my own conditioning, my upbringing, and the ways white supremacy and white privilege absolutely, absolutely has played a role and impacts my life every day. You know, and from me benefiting from that and from me living in this structure, of course, impacting non-white people and black people in a negative way. So lesson one, being a racist is not a huge extreme thing. And we need to all begin including ourselves in this conversation and actually acknowledge the fact that we are a part of the problem. But that also means we can be a part of the solution, right? If we're not a part of the problem, that means that we're not going to change anything. We're just going to pretend it's not real, which right now we can't anymore. So in terms of making mistakes, and this is something that's so, <laughs> like I'm laughing when I'm, when I'm sharing that, because for me, making mistakes is a personally just any mistake, you know, failing at things, being bad at something. It's a very sensitive thing for me personally. And, you know, I've spent the past year and a half in therapy going through all of my, all of my inner things and inner demons and traumas and things like that. And a reoccurring theme that I've shared on this podcast a lot as well is this, this central core idea that I have that I have to be really great at everything all the time. Right. And this has been a huge obstacle for me in this conversation. And I want to I want to share that kind of right off the bat, that we are all going to have big obstacles in terms of how we are able to dismantle the, the racism, that, that the, the white supremacy, the bias that all lives inside of all of us. And it's all going to relate to big things, of course, that are super, super personal. And for me, this limiting belief that I've had, that I have to be great at everything. And it's been something that I thought since I was little, I have to be great at everything. I have to get everything right or no one's going to like me. Like that's been my big, like a big wound that I've had that I'm really scared to mess up, scared to fail, scared to get it wrong. And also, you know, scared to get called out, which is a, a bad fear to have if you're living in the social media world. So we have seen, you know, left and right, all across social media, since this movement really, you know, became big, people fucking up, 
left and right. And I know I've had people in my own life and people that I'm friends with in the online space that I've had really hard conversations with. And I kind of, and I like, I get their feelings around this. Like there's been a couple of, of influencer friends that I've had that for the first, you know, week or 10 days said nothing, absolutely nothing. And when I reached out and said, Hey, Hey, you know, like you gotta, you gotta share about this. You gotta talk about this. And I would say something like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're getting it exactly right, but you have to speak, you know, you have to have to share your views because of course your views are that you're an anti-racist. Of course, your views are in support of black lives and black lives matter. And then a lot of the response that I would get would be, yeah, but, but I feel like I can't do it right. You know, if I don't post then people get upset that I haven't posted, but if I do post, I, people get upset because I, because I, I made a mistake or I didn't do it right. So it's easier for me to just, just not be in that conversation, you know? And I think I had like five or six people that I had had this conversation with all who have, you know, fairly large followings online and I get it. I get it. And you know why I get it? It's because I, <laughs> I was in that place. So I'm going to share, I'm going to share a little story with you guys. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure a few of you maybe remember this time. Maybe you were present for this time, but this was a couple of years ago. Leia Luna was really little. I was trying to think back, like when in time was this, but honestly, my memory is, 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 I don't know if I should be concerned about it, but time for me just is, is weird. It was a few years ago. Leia was breastfeeding. That's all I remember. And I had this experience, which, which I want to share as a, as a big mistake that I made being part of a, of this conversation and being a part of a conversation like this one. And I'm sharing this mistake, you know, with all humility, knowledge of how I fucked up, and also, you know, in a sense of it's, it's hard for me to, to, to talk about times where I, where I fucked up and I realize it's, it's valuable that I do that because it, it gives other people permission to fuck up a little bit too. Right. And I, and I think if it's something that we all need, and this is something that I've, that I've learned a lot from, there's a beautiful human you guys should all follow on Instagram too. On Instagram, he's Brandon K. Good. Uh, his name is Brandon Kyle Goodman. So it's better to have all of us talking about this, risking being called out on something that we didn't do perfect and then learning from that and then changing our ways, which when you look at it like that, isn't the end of the world, right? Then not talking about it at all, being complicit and silent and allowing these horrendous atrocities to continue, right? You cannot even compare. Like the, it, it does not... You know, you can't put them on the same graph, on the same scale. It's like the discomfort white people feel getting called out on something they've done wrong versus the trauma and pain black people feel literally being murdered. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 you cannot put them side by side. So I think as white folks, what we need is a little bit of perspective, you know, again and again, whenever we feel uncomfortable, whenever we feel fragile, whenever we feel like, oh my God, this is too much for me, you know, take a breath, step back and look objectively at the entire situation here, right? Our pain is like, it's a, it's nothing, right? It's going to feel like a lot to you, but when it comes to being of service to something greater, we have to zoom out from ourselves, right? And we have to have to continue to stay super objective with what's actually important here, which is black lives and black lives mattering in this world, black lives not being lost, right? Not seeing any more of this brutality, of this violence, of this trauma, of this awful shit that somehow we have all just allowed to go on. I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like, like now we have 
now we have glasses on. Now we can see and everyone's going, whoa, how is this allowed? Well, it's been allowed because we haven't been talking about it, right? Because we've all said that doesn't apply to me because I'm not racist. I'm not one of those extreme people. Instead of going, hey, this is real. And actually, I don't know that many, ex like in my life, how many extreme racists have I come across? I mean, very, very, very few that I've even known of or heard, you know, I, I can count them on one hand, like knowing someone who was a, who was a racist person, but the amount of, the amount of injustice that exists in this world, right? It cannot just be these very, very few people, right? It cannot be just the, the extremist groups, right? It's something that through these microaggressions and through these biases that we all hold and through our day-to-day -day life of living in this culture of white supremacy that we allow, right? That we allow. I remember back when, when, when the Me Too movement became a thing and I, I was sitting down with Dennis having a lot of hard conversations with him especially around, you know, his group of guy friends. And, and I remember the urgency of, for me to share with him that, hey, when you hear a friend make a sexist joke, like you allowing that, you not saying, hey, hey, stop, that's not cool, that's not okay, right? Or seeing a friend like catcalling a girl or whatever, any of those like little behaviors that we deemed as little, whenever you don't speak up and you don't shut it down, you are contributing to the culture that allows for women to get raped every single day, right? That's a fucking epidemic. That's happening every day all across the world. And for me to try to convince him, for him to understand that that plays a part. And it was a lot of discussion between him, between him and I, because he, he couldn't see the connection at all because he had the same idea about rapists that I had when I was little, right? Rapists, they, they are these super scary people that they, they, they lurk in dark alleys, right? That's why you should never walk in a dark alley on your way home. That's why you should never be alone walking home from a bar, blah, blah, blah. But actually majority of rape doesn't happen by strange boogeymen, you know, who are totally unknown. They happen between people that we know, right? It's someone who actually knows the survivor of that, of that incident. So it was like a lot, I know, I'm sure you remember this too, a lot that we had to suddenly relearn, right? And a lot for the men of this world to become aware of like, Hey, I didn't know that this was that bad, that this was every day all the time. And I feel like now it's a similar thing, right? It's a similar in that we've had our eyes closed to this massive problem. And now all of a sudden, it's like, we can see clearly, we can see all of this suffering and we have to all understand that those little things that we deem little, right? If it's hearing a family member say a racist joke, or if you notice some sort of injustice that is happening in your workplace or any of these things that, that maybe we have let slide, right? That maybe like we just allowed because it felt like a big thing to, to address it, right? Well, all of that plays a role, right? We play a role in not whenever we don't shut that down immediately. All of this plays a role. And that's why this conversation is so important right now. That's why it's so big. It's so huge. It should be everything that we're all doing. You know, of course you're, you're living your life and you're taking care of your kids and you're going to work and, you know, trying to get your life back together after coronavirus, all this stuff. Of course, we're all doing that across the world, but right now there needs to be this undercurrent in everybody's life where we are all doing the work of dismantling this shit that lives inside us and all around us. And that needs to happen all day, right? Every day that you have some sort of component in your day where you continue to learn and relearn. You are listening to the Yoga Girl Podcast, conversations from the heart. 
need to send money abroad, there's only one place to go for that, TransferWise. When you send money with TransferWise to over 70 countries, you only pay one super low fee and you always get the real exchange rate. If you've sent money before with your bank or with any other provider, you are likely haunted by hidden fees in the exchange rate. Have you ever noticed that the price you paid probably didn't match the exchange rate that you saw on Google? Well, TransferWise is different. The owners know the struggle of international money exchange firsthand, so they made it as easy as possible for all of us to save our hard-earned money. TransferWise also offers an easy alternative to opening a bank account in a new country. If you've ever tried to do this, you know it's a big hassle. But with TransferWise, you can set up a multi-currency account that lets you hold up to 45 currencies all at once and you can convert between them anytime. You can even get your own bank details for the US, UK, Eurozone and Australia, meaning you receive money from those countries for free. It's great for freelancers or for anyone who works internationally. Don't take my word for it. TransferWise has over 6 million customers who save $3 million every day in bad rates and hidden bank fees. That's over $1 billion in savings every year. Try them out today and get your first transfer for free by visiting transferwise.com yoga. You are listening to the Yoga Girl podcast, conversations from the heart. So I want to share this, this, this experience I had and my own mistake, right? Because I feel like sharing this maybe will resonate with some of you in terms of how in the end it's, it's, it might be the only way, right? And that's something that I've been sitting with a lot. If there was a way to get this 100% right, then we wouldn't have to have these conversations because that would mean we would have done the inner work, right? And we would know because we wouldn't have all this shit happening, but it, it's not like that, right? So you know, if you're listening to this and you're white or white passing, you have work to do. I have work to do. So yeah, this was a couple of years ago and I was, you know, minding my own business, living my little, little life in Aruba. And I think we were traveling a lot and we had some tours and things like that. And of course, you know, this is the yoga girl podcast. I'm yoga girl on Instagram and have been since 2012, right? So a long, long time. And a woman came into my I can't remember if it was first on, on direct message or if it was in comment section, but a woman came into my comment section and was sharing something where she was really, really upset with the fact that I was, that I was yoga girl for anyone who, who was present around this, this situation that maybe remembers, I, I don't want to get details wrong. As I said, my memory sucks, but I can't remember exactly what it was, but she was saying something negative in terms of I'm a white person and I shouldn't be teaching yoga. And the way she said it was kind of harsh, right? The way she said it was to the point. I'm being kind of soft with my words here, but yeah, it was, it was, it was harsh. And so what happens in, in, in comment sections, and I think this is not exclusive to me, but, but to, to all sorts of influencers, is whenever you have one person share something that looks negative, right? Or that looks like mean or whatever, you might have several people that jump in to, to help the person they're following, Right. So I remember someone, someone wrote like, Hey, that's not true. What do you mean? White people can't teach yoga. There's a, there's like thousands and thousands of white people who teach yoga and, you know, and Rachel's a great person and blah, 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 blah. And it became a whole thread. Right. And it became a whole thing. Right? It started off from a small thing and it became a whole thing. And then what happened is, is, is number one, I didn't see anything right in what she was telling me at all. Like I, I didn't even, I didn't even pause to contemplate, hey, is this woman correct in her, in her observation or is this a real conversation I should have? And the reason I didn't is because I felt really attacked. 
right? And this kind of escalated. And in the end, she, she started an Instagram account that she named something like something to troll me a little bit or to, to, I don't know, to me, it felt degrading. And she was sharing these videos and photos of me that were photoshopped of me standing with my hands to heart and then money and hundred dollar bills flying around and telling the, you know, telling the world that I was like a super corrupt, horrible, manipulative person. And I'm capitalizing off of a sacred practice. And I am basically the worst person in, in the whole world. Right. So at a quick glance, obviously, you know, this looked like, oh, a person who's trolling me. And that's how I received it immediately as I felt super attacked. Here's a person who hates me, you know, so I think I responded like, hey, leave me alone. You know, this is like, I don't have to give you any mind. But then the louder she got because she didn't stop, right? It wasn't just one comment. It was a long, long thing that, that, that kind of went on. The louder she went, the louder people in my comment field became. And in the end, and I remember I was sharing something about like, hey, you know, there's like a thousand Instagram influencers who do yoga you can go to. Like I have all these nonprofits, right? And I do such good work for the world. And I have an animal rescue and we take care of children with this thing. And I've always like, I don't market anything on this platform. I really, you know, because I've always kind of prided myself in, hey, I do what I do with authenticity. That's been a huge thing for me. I do what I do with integrity. I chose early to not have my online platform become a place to market stuff because I felt this aversion to, to all the, the yoga brands and all the, the clothing and all the things we're supposed to buy all the time, right? And I had this idea that like my account is going to be special. <laughs> it's going to be heartfelt and la la la. You know, I was on a high horse there, I think, for, for a long time. And I was like upset that, hey, why can't this woman see that I'm a good person, you know? And it triggered me really deeply because I want to be a good person. It's important for me to be a good person, right? So why is she hating on me? Like, and why is she creating all these horrible videos and images of me making me look like I'm some capitalist, like millionaire, crazy person who's stepping on, on all the people who made yoga, what yoga is along the way, which is like, I was, I felt so attacked, right? And then other people started chiming in saying like, hey, you know, this woman who's sharing, she's actually an Indian woman. She's a Hindu woman. I don't want to get her, ex her exactly where she was from wrong because I, I, I don't know. But she, she was an Indian woman and said, hey, you know, she actually has a right to share what she's sharing. Like, this is really true. The pain that the Indian community is experiencing all across the world, seeing their sacred practice, the sacred, sacred practice of yoga, seeing it completely whitewashed is a huge atrocity and so traumatic and so painful. And do you even know, you know, the history of yoga? Do you even know that in India, we were not allowed to practice our own practice? And then it was taken by white people in, in the West. And now it's become so whitewashed that, you know, we don't even feel comfortable walking into yoga studios in the United States because it's so separate from what this practice that's in our culture, that that's ours. You know, it was, this was just a big conversation and all this thing, all of these things people started sharing. And then I felt like, wait, wait. And I remember, I remember there was a moment there in this whole conversation where I was, you know, happy. I had all these people on my side and trying to take down this troll, this person who I just thought was trolling me, who was like a bad person in my view. And I'm good. Per Why can't you see that I'm good? Right. So I was like allowing all these people to, to tell her no, to say, no, this is not correct. And it became a shit show. Like I, if I can go back to this comment section, which I don't think I can because I, I, I don't know if I turned it off or, or deleted or what I did, which was also another mistake I made. 
I, we were flying and we were on a plane. I remember because I wrote about this the next day and I was on an airport and I let the comment section go on. And what happened was that it became evident because, you know, out of the blue for me, I thought we had this very peaceful community here at Yoga Girl, right? Everyone is a lovely person and we're going to disagree on some stuff, but we don't have any racists here and I'm definitely not racist, right? Not at all. And it's very important to me to, to honor the roots of yoga. I think, you know, you know, I would have those conversations sometimes, but not really, right? Not really, not really, not really. I was, I think at the time, a good version of, of a performative ally then. So these, this was a couple of years ago. We had just opened the studio and, uh, and I remember like I would have these conversations or I would share a post about something, but I wasn't doing the actual work inside of myself. Absolutely not. Right. So maybe I would hear something. Someone would say, Hey, that's not appropriate in yoga. And I would be like, Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Adopt that immediately. But I didn't actually look at it. I didn't actually learn about it. I didn't actually look at how am I teaching those things, you know, and showing other people how to do those things as a studio owner. I was kind of unaware, right? I was. And this felt like an uncomfortable conversation to have too, because I knew there was something there that I wasn't doing wrong, that I wasn't doing right. So this whole thing became like, for me to, to actually take that conversation seriously and give that woman space and go, hey, let's talk about this. At the time, I was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable with the idea of what, am, what if I'm doing this wrong, right? What if I'm not supposed to be teaching yoga? What if I'm appropriating this culture? What if, what if this is all a huge fucked up thing and I have built an entire life based on something that isn't right? right? There was a, a big risk for me there to even begin to, to unpack these things. So instead of doing that, I just shut it down. And I remember it, it got to a point where people in the comments section who were white people, well-meaning toward me, you know, who followed me for a long time and were like, couldn't see any of the, of the, of the big context, which I couldn't at the time either, who were in the end saying super racist shit to this, to this woman, to this, to this poor woman who I was at the time, I was like hating her. I thought she was the worst person ever. You know, she was so harsh in her language, so strong, so to the point. I mean, if you would just glance at it, you would say like, that's a troll, right? But she wasn't. And this is my point, And this is my mistake. So someone alerted me to the fact like, Hey, this comment section isn't safe. And I wasn't even reading it. Like it got to a point where I just, I think I shared something and then I, I left it. I, I put my little, you know, like, um, what's that bird that puts its head in the sand? An ostrich. <laughs> we have a saying about ostriches in Sweden. I, I buried my head in the sand. Like, okay, I'm just not going to look at this comment section, try to get back to my life, right? With my kid and all the stuff that I was doing. And then meanwhile, this comment section just blew up with a lot of bad things bad things. The equivalent of all lives matter was, was what my comment section was for the, for these posts or this post where the, where this was happening. And then all of a sudden I found myself, you know, feeling attacked from left and right. Like I would get, someone would DM me and then someone would email me and then someone would reach out to someone that I knew. And, and all of a sudden I felt like, Hey, I don't like confrontation. I don't, you know, I have a really hard time dealing with, with negative criticism or negative feedback. And and it was like left and right, you know, people trying to tell me something. But what I felt was in a horrible way. You know, it was like people were like, you're, you're fucked up. This is bad. You're a bad person, right? Where really what they were saying was, hey, there are some things in your practice and how you're practicing this and how you're teaching this in the structure of you existing in this world 
that isn't right, right? That's what these people were alerting me to. Like, not like at my core as a human, I'm bad, right? But you are playing a role and profiting from the structure that is actually hurting other people and have has been hurting other people for a long time. And you're playing a part in that. You're responsible here. You have responsibility to talk about this in a different way. And I couldn't, I, I was completely unable to, to take a breath and separate my, my value as a human being from getting negative feedback, right? Because it felt like so much and so intense. And I can also like sit here with some kindness today, like looking at my life then like, yeah, I wasn't able, right? I wasn't. If I was, I would have received that whole conversation in a different way. I wasn't. I was attacked. I felt attacked. I felt sad. I felt little. I didn't have the, the emotional and energetic space to hold that, right? And then what happened after this? And this is like it, it, it's so kind of beautiful how it happened. I can't remember if I deleted that post or if I deleted the original comment. And in the end. So this is the worst part, not the beautiful part. This is the worst part. And in the end, this woman's account was deleted. I think so many people who followed me went to her account and saw that she was posting these, these kind of, kind of, kind of terrible things about me. And they reported her as like, this is shitty. This is shitty, you know? And then in the end, her, her account got taken down, which I'm realizing now, you know, I can sit here when I have, you know, having lived it, like, like what's that saying? Hindsight is 2020, you know? was a fucked up and really racist thing to do. So when I thought, okay, this is getting out of hand. Someone told me this space is not safe. You have all these people, basically all lives matter type people, white people sharing a lot of, you know, white supremacist ideas, a lot of white centering in that comment section. And then I think a lot of attack toward this woman as well. And when I deleted the comments or if I deleted the post, I can't remember now. What I did is not only did I, not only did I, you know, which I thought I was deleting, I was removing the problem, right? Like, hey, this is a mess. I have to delete it because then it will be safe, right? What I did is there was a lot of people of color who were in that comment section educating a lot, a lot of people. I can't remember how many comments this whole thread had, but it, but it was a lot. And a lot of women, I think mostly women of color who were there educating, trying to set people straight, trying to explain like, hey, the person who's, who, who you guys think is attacking Rachel is actually a woman from Indian descent, right? And who's, who's seen a lot of trauma and pain and suffering from what's happened with the yoga culture after white people took it over, after it became so whitewashed. And it's, of course, you know, I can see now, like probably all the things that, that are bad about yoga in today's world, right? All the bad things. I'm like the, epi- I was at least the epitome of that. Like I am yoga girl. <laughs> like I took yoga girl as a name, you know, that's probably triggering enough, you know, a hundred percent. And there I was going about my day, you know, teaching yoga to the masses, sharing yoga photos on Instagram. You know, she doesn't, she didn't know me as a person and, and whatever, you know, core values and things I had, but from the outside, yeah, probably, probably things looked really bad. And that was my fault, right? That I, I, I wasn't talking about, I wasn't talking about honoring the roots of yoga. I wasn't talking about honoring culture, I also wasn't sharing, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and how, you know, how am I teaching this to our teacher training groups and things like that. It was just like, here is what it looks like. And that this is what that must be. So all of that, you know, I took that post or comment down, which is the exact definition. I'm going to go ahead and say of, of tone policing and tone policing. I want to talk about today. The person that has taught me the most about tone policing is Rachel Cargill. 
go 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 read her words and and follow her and follow her account the, also the great unlearn which is really helpful in terms of how she breaks down she'll take comments from social media and then from white people and then break them down in terms of here is what's happening you know here is how how all of this racism is taking place in these well-meaning white people's responses which is 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 teaching me a lot too but tone policing that's what i did to this woman and it's 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 you know it's something that i would love to be able to take back um but which i can't but when a person of color speaks about their experience on racism oftentimes what we'll, what we'll hear white white people say is hey if you don't if you don't scream if you don't yell so loudly i'd be able to hear you better or if you weren't so angry you know i could listen to you but with all of this anger like oh, you know come back to me when you've calmed down you know we we kind of it's like, it's like white people are telling black people that to talk about your experience on this hugely personal, emotional, sensitive, traumatic thing, you have to speak in a way that's digestible to me. Otherwise I'm not going to listen to you. Can you guys kind of see how, how bad, how bad that is? So Layla saw, she has a whole chapter about tone policing. I highly recommend it. So it's not just like when I shut that comment section down, you know, I tone policed her and all of those people that were trying to support me, you know, thinking they were doing something good and nice to me by saying, Hey, you know, if you have something important to share, like maybe we should talk about honoring yoga's roots. Like we should talk about that. We should talk about cultural appropriation, but can you just like stop, stop saying it in this way? You know, don't be so hateful in your comments. Don't be so mean. You're just bullying Rachel now. Right. And of course, of course, it takes to be able to take and hold that kind of emotion when it's directed at you and that intensity. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, 100 percent. I think it takes a, a grounded, you know, fairly evolved person to hold that and not react back, which is what I did immediately. I felt like you're bullying me. Fuck off. You know, when now if I could if I could go back. I would have loved to, to be able to instead hold space for that emotion, knowing that me as a white person teaching yoga, yes, to the masses, profiting off of yoga in different ways, it's my responsibility to help support her voice, right? To help elevate her voice and to hold space for whatever emotion comes along with this really hard topic, which at that time... I, I, I was trying to think like, well, how could I really have done this different? I just didn't have the tool. I didn't know. I'd never heard the term tone policing. I'd never heard the term gaslighting. I think this is 2017. Yeah, I, I never, I, you know, I, I wasn't aware. So that, all of that happened. Her account disappeared, which is super sad. And then the beautiful part about this in the end, or for me, you know, the takeaway that I, that I, that I got, you know, it was a, it was a bad thing, bad situation all around, but the good that came out of it was that I started doing that work for real for the first time in my life, right? We changed a lot of things. And I realized there was a lot of things that I was doing at that time that I was practicing, that I was teaching because I was taught that and I, and I never questioned it, right? I was just taught that this is how we do things. And then I look back at, well, who are all the teachers that I've had in my life? They are all white people. I have never had a person that I've considered a teacher that's been a, a teacher of mine that I've learned from, you know, a lot from that's really influenced up until that point, at least that's really influenced my teaching that hasn't been white. You know, I didn't have a, my big spiritual trip to India, you know, which is a whole other problem on its own. I think I didn't have any black teachers, you know, when I, when I here in Aruba, it's also, I think we're in a, 
we're kind of in a in an extreme place here having such a tiny community we're on a tiny island you know we have i think 10 teachers on the whole island here as well so it's also a little bit of a different situation but some things that we were doing at the studio that I would love to share. I, I have a podcast on this. I invited Susana Barkataki, who is also a guide on yogagirl.com, who is an amazing resource on all things, honoring the roots of yoga, on cultural appropriation, on how to responsibly carry on this tradition of yoga that we are borrowing from the Indian community. It's not ours. We didn't create this. I mean, as white people, it's not ours at all. And when she told me, that she has family who lives in the States, you know, very, very, very traditional, traditional religious Indian women in her family who practiced yoga, you know, since before they were born. Like yoga is not only in their, in their soul, in their heart, but like it's in their lineage, it's in their bloodline, it's in their ancestry, who feel like they can't go to a yoga studio in the United States because they feel out of place. They feel not welcome. And when she said that, I remember like my jaw dropped, like, how is it that, how is that, how is that okay? Like, obviously it's not okay, but how, how is that a thing, right? That the very people whose culture this is, right? Whose practice this is, don't have space or don't feel welcome in the studios and the, and the spaces that are now profiting off of this practice by the millions, you know, all across the world. And especially in the U.S. where yoga is so, so huge. And that, you know, broke my heart a little bit and opened my eyes because I was not aware, right? I was not aware. So, okay, I don't mean for this whole entire episode to be about 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 just yoga, but I'm, I want to share this, not just yoga, but about this specific issue because it can be many episodes. I have an episode called Cultural Appropriation with Susana Barkataki, highly recommend it. I'm going to share some more resources um, to learn from on, on that topic as well. But so what happened after that is that that was my eye-opening moment in terms of, okay, you know, not just yoga and honoring the, the roots of yoga and how was I do how was I doing that wrong, but racism as a whole, right? For the first time learning those terms in terms of okay, here are some things, some some weapons, right, that that white, well-meaning people use in these conversations about race, speaking to, to black people and people of color that are that are super dangerous, that are playing a part of the whole, right? Just the same way that Dennis not telling his friend to stop it with the sexist jokes plays a part in rape culture and misogyny. Us using these 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 verbal weapons, right, and 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 structuring these conversations in a way that only appeal to us, right, or excluding ourselves from the conversation altogether, or tone policing, or all of these things. That's the reason we've been stuck in this place for a long time, right? That plays a part in the police brutality, the violence, the injustice that black people face all across the world, not just black people, but people of color all across the world, right? All of that plays a part. And I didn't know. <laughs> and this was, you know, I'm sharing this with you guys super humbly, like, because I wish I knew, I wish I knew. And reading, you know, Me and White Supremacy, it comes with a lot of journaling prompts where you get to go back into your past and into your life and, and look at these different areas. Like, how did that play out? And when I look at my own past, you know, I grew up being told that racism isn't real. Like, I actually had that spoken to me several times from different members of my family. I had one specific family member who was so set in his beliefs around that everyone can do anything. We all are starting from the same place. Like privilege was not a thing, 
I think probably he still believes this to this day, that privilege wasn't real. That, you know, if you just work hard, doesn't matter if you're, and he would say things like that, if you're black, brown, purple, pink, whatever, everyone has the same prerequisites to just work hard, you know, and, and, and you can make it in this world. And I was taught that from a really young age. And also that, you know, that racism is only this ex- extreme thing. It's only far away. It's only crazy people. And that we are all, we should all be colorblind, right? We should all pretend that we don't see color. We should all pretend that color just isn't real. A book I'm reading now, it's uh, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. She speaks about this in the, the one, I can't remember, one of the first chapters of her book as well, of, of that book as well. But being colorblind, which I thought my whole life was a great thing. When I was, so I, I lived in a very, very white neighborhood or was born in a white neighborhood. And then when I was 10 or 11, we moved to the inner city in Stockholm. And the schools I went to were super diverse. And most of my friends, I actually attached myself then at the time to the culture that wasn't Swedish, which I can see now. Like I, I'm having a lot of realizations about that too, but all of my friends, I had very few, you know, white Swedish friends going, going to these schools. So I had friends from the Philippines and from Chile and from Iraq and from Turkey and Somalia and, and from Japan, just friends from all over. And we were really, you know, being colorblind was supposed, that was supposed to be a thing. And I remember, you know, no one ever sat us down, even in this school, right, where everyone was from everywhere to talk about race or talk about the fact that actually, hey, we're all a little different. (laughs) You know, it was obvious that we are all a little different. Like we look a little different. Our cultures are different. You know, these structures are different, but that was never a thing. And Sweden is very, I think only Swedish people can really understand like the Swedish culture of not wanting to stand out, not wanting to cause a ruckus, you know, also in school, like everything is very vanilla, very, Hey, 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 we're all getting along here. Right. But even though we weren't, and I remember an encounter that happened on the schoolyard where a white boy and a black boy started fighting and it was a whole thing. And I think the white boy said something bad. It was like a racial slur, something about his skin color, it wasn't, you know, the N word or something because that I would have remembered, but it was some sort of slur, something bad. And I remember it was a thing that this had happened. And what I, when I think back to it now, I think what was a thing was that the white boy addressed, you know, this boy's blackness. Like he said something about the color of his skin and the teacher was appalled and it was a whole thing. And, and we had to have a talk about it in school. And like, and, and I remember they really pointed it out, like no one is different here right? Everyone is the same. Like we can't see any color. There is no difference. And looking at it now, it's like probably what would have been helpful would have been to have some conversation around race because the reality of those situations is that the kids that were from the the non-traditional Swedish families or the non-white families, they lived in other areas of the city. You know, I, I can really remember that, that the, 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 the white friends I had lived in the nicer part of the city. And then when I went, you know, to go to play with my, with my friends from Chile or my, my Somalian friend, go, go to her house, her mom's house, we had to go really far. We had to go on the subway, like all the way to the suburbs. And, and I never reflected on why is this, why is it like this, right? Why is this neighborhood where people have more money? Why is everybody white over here? And then over here, you know, everything was so, so segregated and still is to this day. And there was never any conversation around the fact that, hey, there's something in the structure here that isn't fair, right? And maybe this whole idea of pretending that we can't see color, which 
somehow, again, exempts us from having to have this conversation. That's not necessarily a good thing, right? It's almost like everyone is so scared to even, you know, look at the fact, to risk looking inside, realizing that we have some racial bias, you know, we have some bias inside of us that we just go to that that colorblind thing, you know, we are all one at the end of the day. And that is also a big thing in the yoga community. We are all one. There's no difference. Everything is the same. Oneness, peace and love and light. But the truth of the matter, the reality of that fact, it isn't the same, right? Obviously, oneness as a sacred idea, as a spiritual belief, you know, is beautiful and, and real, right? If you zoom out on God's level of things, you know, we are all we are all one, we are all the same. But in the human reality of our society, things are not the same, right? That's why when I went home to play with my white friends, we they, they lived in much nicer houses than I went to play with my black friends or my friends from Turkey when I was growing up. We went to the to the suburbs and, you know, it was a whole other different thing. You know, it isn't the same. Oneness only works as a, it, once we have addressed the injustice that's here, right? So preaching oneness and love and light and, and, and all is well, it's bypassing the, the suffering that so many people face every single day, right? And it's also like a convenient thing to say for the white person in wellness, like, oh, you know, do you have to talk about that? And I had a lot of comments around that as well. Like, can't you just like talk about yoga, right? Isn't yoga unity? But yeah, but how can we talk about that when that's not the reality? When literally black people are murdered in the street for no reason every single day. We see this injustice everywhere. Something that that I think about every day and I cannot get it out of my head and it's a good thing that it's stuck in my head is a black woman is four times as likely to die while giving birth in the Western world as a white woman. Can you just wrap your brain around that for a moment? Wherever you're from, wherever you're living, a black woman is four times as likely to die while giving birth as a white woman. You know, that's, that's statistics, that's fact. So when that's a reality, you know, how can we at the same time say love and light, love and light, you know, of course we can't, we can't. And saying love and light and saying oneness and, and we are all one and stop talking about politics, that's being a part of the problem and that's allowing for this violence to continue moving forward right? So I think it's so important, especially for anyone. I don't know, maybe there's someone listening now who's triggered that there, I have a whole podcast now talking about these things when I could be talking about, (laughs) what could I be talking about? Yeah, whatever else. As if somehow talking about our problems is going to make the problems worse, right? That is not true, right? To, To fix this injustice, to heal this, we have to look at the wound. We have to unpack the wound. It's kind of like, It's like we have this huge, huge, huge wound in all of humanity, right? Around racism, around inequality, around all of this injustice, around slavery and everything that was never repaired after that. And we put like a pretty little, like pretty little white skin colored bandaid on top of that and go, hey, look at this. Everything is wonderful. We don't see any color. We don't have any problems. Everyone is one, right? But at the same time, you're saying that sitting in your white skin, I'm say, I was sitting there, sitting in my white skin, having no problem. So of course, you know, if you're privileged enough to not have to experience the racism or the injustice, then it's really easy to, to, to go back to love and light. And why, why do we have to talk about this? Well, yeah, if it doesn't affect you, probably it's easy to, to sit there and be quiet. And I feel like 
we have to get to a place now as a collective where we move through that discomfort. And now, you know, with the, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I had a little revival of, of the, those feelings from then. So some of the changes that, and this is also something like, and, and I stopped talking about it. This is another huge mistake that I've made and a huge flaw. I think a part of me was like, I had, you know, Susana Barca talking on the podcast. We invited Susana to, to join and be a guide on yogagirl.com. So we have some beautiful content around honoring yoga's roots now on the site, which we didn't before. We have a diverse group of teachers like that I feel really good about. But, you know, a lot of things shifted after that conversation. That's what kicked off our scholarship program, where we, we, we give BIPOC a space and every single YTT and every single, every single teacher training, retreat, trauma healing group. We have a, a scholarship to black people and people of color. And we never did that before. That would not have happened uh, if it wasn't for those mistakes that I made and that hard conversation and that woman right? Like I, I wish I knew her name and I shared that in, on, on several podcasts before. Like I said that then if someone, you know, if she has a new account, I would love to share it so she can, so she can get it back. But I don't know where, I don't know where she went. I hope she's well, but she propelled that change. Right. And I don't think any of that change would have happened if she would have sent me a kind, graceful, eloquent email that fits my white brain well saying, Hey, can we please have a conversation around properly honoring yoga's roots if you're a white person teaching teaching this to other people? You know, that would have gone in my junk mail probably then. I wouldn't have given that like a thought. I like I I, I and I say that like I'm ashamed to say that, but yeah, that's that's the reality of things. So thanks to her speaking really loudly, right? Getting really fucking angry, like, oh, all of that, that change happened. For the past, yeah, almost three years, we've offered free yoga to the Indian community in Aruba or anyone from the Indian community who wants to come practice with us as a means of reparation. We changed a lot of things around our teacher training. We have a whole big section of our teacher training now that's directed or dedicated to properly honoring yoga's roots. You know, we never taught that. I mean, of course, we teach the yamas and the niyamas and the sutras and, and the eight limbs and philosophy and things like that, but, you know, not practical component of how do we apply this when we go out into the world as white people teaching this to other white people no you know and that that is why these conversations should always happen with the person who should be centered right we could have never achieved that change without susana guiding us there and just now it just says now we are never going to achieve any kind of change without the guidance of black voices that's why we can't sit as white people going around in circles on how are we going to solve this right because we have these problems inside of us right so that's a dangerous thing to do and when when the movement gained a lot of traction and and i started sharing and started posting about it one of the first things that happened was that i made a mistake <laughs> immediate and I felt really strongly like, oh my God, you know, we did so much work around this. We have a whole, you know, like diversity, inclusivity pledge, where we talk a lot about equity. We do all of this stuff in our programs and groups, scholarship. We spend a lot of money every year to make sure that we can hold space for, for people, for, for BIPOC. And, you know, and then I stopped talking about it, you know, and, and I, I just, I just did. I wish I didn't. I wish I would have kept that going and kept that flame burning all the time, right? That it wasn't just, hey, we had this, this six-month space where we did this and then we fixed all these problems that we had and then, okay, we're fine now. Well, we're, we were not fine, 
right? We can't be fine. As long as there are people suffering, we can't just be fine. So it's my responsibility in this space to keep the flame burning, to not get lazy, to not allow other things to become more important, to not allow, you know, my own discomfort to be more important than black lives. No. So now that that one of the first things that I that I shared online these past couple of weeks ago, a couple of posts talking about it, sharing some resources, like really, really decided like, oh my God, I cannot, I cannot allow myself to, 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 to not be here now, you know, no way. And I felt that there's discomfort here. And I know there are still a lot of all lives matter people, but not as many. I don't know if they've all left <laughs> because I'm not seeing them around anymore, but you know, and after sharing for a little bit or a couple of couple of things, I wanted to share something that was a little more personal to me. And I had this this little video of loonies kissing me, and I wrote something about you know we have to we have to protect all children the way we protect our own. And I was kind of debating like I wanted to have to write something that touched on the movement because I didn't want to be tone deaf and just ignore it. But I also didn't want to only post those things. This was like the first or second day of of, of things you know in the online world shifting. And then I really remember like debating like, oh my God, should I put the Black Lives Matter tag? You know, because I, I want to keep saying Black Lives Matter. I want to keep talking about Black Lives Matter. I want to keep pushing Black Lives Matter. But then I had a moment where I was like, I don't know, is that appropriate for this post? Hmm. And then I thought, and I thought, and then I, I thought, okay, I, well, I think it is. And I posted it. And then almost immediately a black woman wrote me, hey, and I don't think she was a follower. I think she found it through the Black Lives Matter tag. She said, hey, you know, I, I see your post. I see it's well-meaning, but here's actually what's, what's, what's true. It's that this is not relate. This does not relate. This is centering whiteness. You're centering yourself, adding the Black Lives Matter tag on something that is not relevant. Can you please remove it? And I was like, oh my God, yes, of course. Thank you. You know, and I removed it. And uh, still talk, I think spoke to her a little bit for that, for those next couple of days. And, and that was that. And then of course, you know, the next thing that happens is that there are many, 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 many self-appointed white allies in my DMs, in my comment feed, telling me I'm a terrible person and I cannot believe you did that. And oh my God, you totally fucked up here. And, and that was, that was really the, the first, you know, first week of talking about this and navigating this as a white person was dealing with the pain of white people, dealing with the pain of white self-appointed allies, white people who've decided that I know better than you. And maybe they do, right? Probably chances are they are, right? That they have been learning this longer than me, you know, but it became actually a huge, huge hindrance in terms of, in terms of, of continuing that education and continuing that conversation forward. Uh, white people trying to teach other white people how to do everything right, which is, again, coming back to that same dangerous thing of we shouldn't be learning from white people. Like no one here should should go to another white person or say, hey, you know, Yoga Girl is teaching great things on anti-racism. I cannot teach anybody shit, right? I can share my mistakes and hopefully you can learn there and not have to repeat those mistakes. I can share resources from who I'm learning from. I can share my observations, you know, this path that I'm on. But I am a white woman. I cannot teach anybody jack shit about how to be an anti-racist. I cannot. You have to learn that from, from black people. You must. So that is like a, a, a big, big realization of mine was, hey, the more time I spend 
and going in circles with these with these white people telling me I'm doing it wrong is time I could be spending listening to black people speak, right? And every time I answer one of those comments in the comment section, I, uh, I bring more attention to it. And who was it? It was Rebecca again. Yeah. Beck's life. Make sure you follow her. She's, she's a gr- also a great resource. She told me, Hey, you don't have to go to every fight you're invited to. <laughs> and I love that so much. Like, Hey, look at what we're doing. Look at all these white folks going crazy, being dramatic back and forth. Bah, 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 bah. And at the same time, there's like missing the point over here. Like, here's the focus. Stay on track. Don't get distracted. Stop talking about all your own stuff, right? Stop like, you know, making your thing the most important thing and your discomfort, the most important thing and come back to the matter at hand. And the matter at hand is there's suffering out there and it's really intense and it's really awful and it shouldn't be that way. And if you're a white person listening to this, you can be a part of the solution by acknowledging that you already are a part of the problem. I am a part of the problem. I have been a part of the problem my whole life. And it was, it was inconvenient for me to acknowledge that. So I haven't. And the only thing I can do now is, okay, you know, I can own those mistakes that I've made, make sure I don't do them again. And then continue doing this work, continue keeping this flame alive all the time, not just when it's trendy, right? Not just when it's a thing online, but in myself and, and something that's, you know, it's a good thing to come back to like, Hey, you know, you can be a really good person, like with a genuinely good heart who only wants the best for this world and still have things to work on inside of you right? And still benefit from this society and still benefit from white privilege and still play a role in the structure that allows for this violence to happen. Like those things can exist at the same time. So for all of us to get a little space around the, around the, the wound, right? That woundedness that everybody has. Like me back then, those years ago, when I couldn't separate, I couldn't separate, hey, someone's telling me feedback but it feels negative. So it's making me feel like a bad person. And when I feel like a bad person, I can't listen. It's too painful for me. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to cover my ears and walk the other way. Right. That doesn't do anything. doesn't serve anybody. Right. Also, it's not tending to my wound, right. It's not allowing any growth for myself and it's keeping these structures in place that are super harmful for other people. Right. There was an opportunity to listen there. So how can I, all of us right now, like every moment you encounter, if it's someone commenting on your feed, right? And here's the thing, if I can give like a piece of advice. So this is what I've learned from and continue to learn from these amazing people like Rachel Cargill, like Layla Saad, like Austin Channing Brown. It is that when a black person speaks to you, however they're speaking to you, just listen, right? Just listen. Even if it comes off as angry, as intense, as overwhelming, as an attack, as a call out, you know, whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like to you, just listen, right? Don't react. Don't go into crazy drama. Don't block. Don't delete comments. Don't, you know, cater this conversation to meet your needs, but just listen, just listen, just listen. And that is a lesson I wish I'd learned earlier. And I, and I'm sharing it with you with the hopes that, that you really, really, really take it to heart. Black people have been doing this work 
for centuries, you know, protesting peacefully, petitions, trying to change legislation, trying to change, you know, things in the workplace, trying to peacefully, you know, march so many, so, so many years of, of, of trying to do this quietly. And now it's not quiet anymore. Right. And asking someone to, to express or to share their trauma and their pain and to do it with a smile and quietly and eloquently is super violent. So if you can find it in you to, to, to take deeper breaths all throughout this conversation, right? To continue doing your own spiritual work so you feel grounded in your own body. The more grounded we are, the more we're going to be able to actually hold this space, to actually create this work, and to actually see what's moving inside of us and what to shift and what to change. If we're not doing any of that work, yeah, you're going to spin off into space and you're going to feel like everything is an attack the way I felt back then, right? Everything is not an attack. So if a black person speaks, listen. And remember, it's not about you. That's kind of a, isn't that like a relieving thing to hear, you know, for once? Like, hey, whatever you're feeling as a white person in this conversation, you need like a little, like snap your fingers or something, like a little nudge just to like, ah, you know, flashlight, like light bulb moment. It's not about me. That's a big thing to remember. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. But the work here is to collectively try to make a long lasting change for good, right? Where we eradicate this bullshit that's happening all over the world that we've allowed to continue happening for so long. And where this is it, right? Where we don't look back at this as the time where we almost changed something, but where we were part of that change. And you do that work within you and around you all at the same time. So to close, to the black people listening, to the people of color listening to this show, I see you, I hear you, I'm here to learn, I'm here to listen, I'm here to do this work. And um, if anyone from the BIPOC community has a specific ask of me, and I've shared this, you know, in, in, in DMs with people that I, that I know, but with this platform, we can make specific change in different ways. Hit me up and I'm so, so, so available to serve, to promote your classes, your programs, your workshops, your voice, your writing, the Yoga Girl community. We're, we're here for you. We really are. And to the white people listening, let's, let's rally. Yeah, let's rally. Let's keep the bigger picture in mind. And remember, we are all in this together, but this is our job now, right? It's up to us. So let's go. Let's go. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for giving me the space to talk and share and vent. And yes, to the black folks listening, if I have made any mistakes in this podcast, in terms of how I share or how I speak or anything specific, I'm so, so welcoming that feedback. Um, you can email me, rachel at yogagirl.com. And if you do, thank you so much for your time. And if not, I will uh, continue doing this the best I can. Thank you all. Yoga Girl Podcast will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. For resources on honoring the roots of yoga, I highly recommend you follow Susana Barkataki on Instagram, as well as Yoga is Dead podcast. You can listen to the podcast that they've made. They're great. And another Tamil queen. To learn more on how to be an anti-racist, 
on Instagram, please follow Layla F. Saad, Rachel.Cargill, The Conscious Kid, Miss Pack Yeti, Professor underscore Crunk, No White Saviors, and I Heart Erica. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to listen and subscribe to other episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. You can find all of them on yogagirl.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you normally get your shows. Don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.